Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, it's great to be back from the other side of the world. Uh, had an awesome trip. Really, really great. Uh, the second time we've been there. And the first time you go to the Holy Land and they take you someplace and, and you look at it like this. Right? I mean, I'm kind of exaggerating. But going back, we were able to go to some of those places again and look and actually ponder and think some things. And, and just very, very encouraging. And some of the stuff that's there, too, that just verifies over and over again that the Bible we have is the Bible that was written going way back. And that then you see all these things that oftentimes archaeologists, you say, well, this isn't, the Bible's not accurate because this, and then one after another, they discover things that they go, oh, <laughs> it is accurate. It was accurate. And so very encouraging. And, and off and on, as I do preaching, I'll show you some pictures that, that correspond with uh, the things that we're looking at today. And I, I could show you a picture for uh, this sermon, but the reality is I would show you a picture of a room for the upper room that isn't the upper room. Because the upper room is built probably 20, 30 feet above the original upper room. Because over there with the rocks, all these big stones, they build things and they, they, they get old, they fall apart, they just kind of knock them down flat and build the next thing on top. Okay? And so that's, that's how it goes. Well, today's sermon about the Lord's Supper. I don't know if I've ever preached an entire sermon about the Lord's Supper. I remember the Lord's Supper from when I was a kid. And in our church, we called it communion. And I, I think we said communion, right? I mean, it was a special deal. But I got to tell you what I remember most about that. In our church, they didn't have it like this. I, I don't remember exactly how the Lord's Supper stuff was laid out. But when you came to church, you couldn't see it because there was this beautiful white Cloth, sheet, covering the whole thing, a big thing. And what I remember most, is seriously, when I think about the Lord's Supper from when I was a kid in church, and it wasn't a church like ours, it's a church that, you know, wasn't as committed to the Bible being the Word of God as we are, but nonetheless, so I experienced this. But what happened is, if it came time in the service for the Lord's Supper, two older ladies in the church would walk up very solemnly, and then they would each take the sheet, on both sides. And, and they had, it's like this whole process that they went through, how they lifted it up, and then they stepped away, and then they folded it in half, and folded it in half, and folded it and set aside. Then we took the Lord's Supper, which as a kid is pretty cool. You get to eat bread and drink juice in church. Okay? But then the ladies came back. Unfolded the whole thing, did through the whole, it was a big deal. But I think it kind of made me miss the point. Right? What the part that was the big deal wasn't really the big deal. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of, how many of you ever been where, to a, uh, a funeral ceremony or a memorial service where the military comes and does the flag? Right? That's kind of what it reminded me of. Not that that's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. But just as a kid, that's what I remember about the Lord's Supper. Uh, we want to make sure that we get the Lord's Supper Right. And you'll see before we're done today that it's really, really important that we get the Lord's Supper right. So let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11. Now, back in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul kind of turns a corner in his letter to the Corinthians here, and he says, now about the things that you ask me. And so he begins to answer questions and address issues that they are happening. And he's still doing that when we get over here to chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 23 today. If you don't have a Bible with you or have access to one on your phone, uh, take one of the Bibles that's underneath the chairs there and turn to page 1,320. We're going to be on that page and the page before it uh, later in the sermon. So page 1,320, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's just read. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So Paul's answering this question. He said, Now, the Lord himself taught me this, and I have taught you it. Okay, so let me review with you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, and this is Paul's words, this is not Jesus' words here, this is Paul's words then, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So the Lord's Supper is about the Lord's death, and it's about proclaiming, it's about showing it, showing the Lord's death. And so uh, this is what we would say about this. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic memorial of Jesus' death on the cross, okay? A symbolic memorial of Jesus' death on the cross. You, you're going to show his death as you participate this. You're going to show his death, and as you do it again, you're going to show his death. And so, a symbolic memorial. Now, the fact that it's a symbol, because, you know, there may be a bunch of you who grew up in religious traditions where, where you learned that this was not just a symbol, but the fact that this was somehow rather mystically turned into the actual body and blood of Christ. All right? Well, I am convinced that that's not true for many, many reasons. Now, how could people even arrive at that conclusion? Well, because of things like something that Jesus said in John chapter 6 when he was challenging uh, the, the people who were there. He said this, he says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, talking about himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Okay, and so this is where they get, well, this is that must be the real thing. So the Lord changes it into his body and blood every time we partake of this. But we know that cannot be true. So let me ask you a question. I bet every one of you know the answer to this one. Did Jesus ever sin? You sure? Yeah, he never sinned, right? He was God in human form, never sinned. Uh, he, he was tempted, like we, but the Bible says, without sin. He did not sin. Well, it would have been a sin for him to entice people to eat his body. Cannibalism. Wrong. It's a sin. Okay? Under Jewish law, it's sin. To drink blood under the Jewish law is sin. And that was probably for lots of reasons. One of them being health reasons, okay, back in the day. Um, but the point is, Jesus would have been enticing people 
to sin, telling people to sin. And I would say to you that if you tell someone to sin, you are sinning, okay? So we have to say, well, he couldn't have meant that literally then. What is it that he's telling us about this? Well, let's think about this. Um, when you eat food, and, and the analogy is not perfect, okay? But when we eat food, we take food in, and as we do, it gets digested and then goes out into our body, and what? Becomes part of us, doesn't it, right? We Eventually, at some point, there's no difference between what you ate and you. Maybe that explains a few things. But so maybe that's what Jesus means. That's what he's talking about, is that you have to take me into your life in such a way that we become one and united. Uh, now, a little later in this same conversation, because people got bothered by this. They heard this. They said, what's he mean? What's he talking about? Eat his flesh, drink his blood. We, we don't get this. And Jesus says to them, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh. The flesh prophesies. What he's saying is there's no physical thing that we can do that will change our relationship with God. I, I can't, you know, I, I, getting baptized is important, but getting baptized is not going to change my relationship with God. I get a relationship with God by receiving Christ as Savior. By faith, right? Believing. There are no works that we can do, no things that we can do. And a lot of religions are very heavy on physical things, aren't they? Physical things that have to be done and all that. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says that prophets what? What's the word? Nothing. The word, he says, it's the Holy Spirit who gives life. It's a spiritual thing. Okay? All right. So then he couldn't, again, he couldn't have meant you have to eat my body and drink my blood because that's a physical thing that you would do, isn't it? And he says it profits what? Nothing. Okay. Then he continues in the same uh, phrase, same sentence. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. They're spiritual words. The words I'm telling you about eating my body and drinking my flesh, those are spiritual words, spiritual things, symbolic things. And they point you to where you're going to get your life. They point you to me, Jesus. And I am where you will get your life from. So very clear, and we could look at other places too, but that this is intended to be that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic memorial of Jesus' death on the cross, okay? Uh, and I think it's very important that we have that kind of understanding about it. Well, now let's talk about it. What, what are these? What is it symbolic of? Okay, well, we get it. Jesus said, as we read through it, what, that the, the broken bread is symbolic of what? His body dying for us on the cross. And that the juice or wine is symbolic of his blood being shed for us. Well, what do those things mean? Well, we go through Scripture, and we get into Romans chapter 6, and he talks about Jesus dying, his body dying for us, and we dying with him when we come to believe. And he makes it very clear that that death enables us to say no to sin and yes to God. All right, and I've asked this question before. Anybody ever seen a dead person sin? 
If you have, we need to have another conversation. <laughs> All right. So, but when we are, before we come to Christ, we are spiritually dead. We, you know, even the good things we do, we do on our own, separate from God. We're doing our own thing, right? It's not done in faith and trust. And so we're doing our own thing. So it's all sin. But when Jesus dying for us and breaking the hold of sin over us, when we come to receive Christ, we must receive Christ to benefit from this. But his death has broken that hold of sin over us so that now I, I can make a different choice. I can now make a choice that honors God. I can now make a choice that is lined up with what His Word says. I can now make a choice that really comes from my heart that's good and right. And so he, this, His body dying for us frees us from the controlling power of sin. Now, does that mean we don't sin anymore? No, because we don't always believe it, do we? We don't always believe that I'm really, I don't have to do this. <laughs> Tell you what, that'll change your life if you can start when you find yourself tempted to say, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. Okay? You'll begin to experience the freedom that you have in Christ. All right. So the blood. The blood throughout the symbols of the Old Testament, very clear that the blood provides forgiveness of sins, the individual sins, the wrong things that we do, the things that we do that we shouldn't do, the things that we don't do that we should do, the things that we do with the wrong attitudes, whatever, the words that we say that we shouldn't say or we don't say what we should all of those sins where we didn't do what God would have had us do. We did something else. And the shed blood of Christ provides forgiveness for every one of those sins. How many sins do you think you've committed? Do you remember the sin that you committed on this day 20 years ago? Yeah, let me think, somebody said you don't, we don't. But Jesus' blood provides forgiveness for that. Every sin. So when you and I, if, if we receive Christ as Savior, this is only if we've received Christ. But if you and I receive Christ as Savior, this means that there will never come a time. As we, we leave this life and we go to heaven, whether we die and go to heaven or whether he returns and takes us to heaven, there will never be a time in our lives when we will face God with a sin that is not already forgiven. I guarantee you do not want to stand before God with an unforgiven sin. You just don't. That's, that's where people who don't know Christ as Savior will stand. So never again, every sin. How good is that? You think it's a good thing? That every sin, every sin you ever have committed, every sin you ever will commit, Jesus died for all of them. His blood provides forgiveness for them. So this symbol is cool, isn't it? This symbol is awesome because of what it symbolizes. Symbolizes Jesus' death for us. And so we, we remember the Lord's Supper is a symbolic memorial of Jesus' death on the cross. Well, let's go back to the scriptures and, and keep reading here because it's, it's all there is. But before, I, actually, before we read again, let me uh, just be real clear. When I keep saying receive Christ as Savior, what I'm talking about is this, that every one of us are born into this world with a nature that's bent towards sin. And sin is, like I said, it's, it's when we don't do what God wants us to do or we do things God says we ought not to. It's, it's his standard. 
And we've all blown it. We've all messed up. We've all failed to measure up to his standards. So we've all failed. We're all guilty before God. And if we die guilty before God, we will be condemned as guilty. And the Bible calls that place hell. All right? So that's what we're looking at. That's what comes to us naturally. That's what we have earned. All right. God loved us so much that the Son of God became a man, moved into our sinful, sin-cursed world, came down here because he loved us, lives a perfect and sinless life, and as he goes to the cross, he doesn't have to go to the cross, he's God, God in human form, but he chooses to go to the cross, and as he goes to the cross, as he hangs there, the Bible tells us that God the Father took the, all of the uh, penalty for my sins, which are thousands and thousands of sins, and all the penalty for your sins, and the sins for the whole world, and Jesus dies there, somehow paying the penalty for our sins. Three days later, he rises from the dead. We're celebrating all this over the next couple of weeks. Three days later, he rises from the dead. And, and the message to you and I, the gospel, the good news is this, that if you and I will acknowledge that we have sinned against God, we have, right? Duh. That, the duh is in the Greek somewhere. <laughs> We've sinned against a holy God. That separates us from him. And if we die in that condition, we're lost forever. But he says, if you will acknowledge you've sinned against me, you'll believe that I am who the Bible says I am, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord. You can place your faith in me to provide forgiveness for your sins. You can receive me as Savior. And when you receive me as Savior, just by believing, okay, God, it's, it's like this, God, I get it, I'm a sinner. And, and I know my sins have separated me from you. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. And right now, the best I know how, I receive you as my Savior. I accept your payment for the penalty for my sins. And the Bible says that when you do that sincerely from the heart, that at that moment, God forgives every sin. And your destination has been changed. It's no longer hell. Now it is heaven for sure. And, and God himself moves inside and begins working on you and helping you to change and to grow. And, and so the way that you, you do this is you just got to connect with God and say just kind of what I said. God, this is what I want. I need this. Um, it's not magic words. And it isn't something that you can say, oh, cool, I'll say those words to that prayer so I'm covered and I'll keep living my life. No, no, this is where you realize I'm in trouble. I need God. And I'm turning away from my ways and my life. I'm turning to Him. Anybody want that today? How many of you say, I remember when I did that? Yeah. All right, let's continue. First Corinthians chapter 11. So we read the instructions. Let's um, start in verse 27. He continues to talk about this. He says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, we'll talk about what that means in a little bit, but in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, 
eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And when the New Testament talks about Christians sleeping, what's it mean? That they have died. Wow, okay, wait a minute. Lord's Supper, this cool symbol, has just turned into something that can bring God's judgment upon our lives. God's chastisement upon our lives. Many of you are weak, you're sickly. You're, some of you have died. Those of you who have died are not reading these words. Some of your number have died. Why? Because you have not taken, you've eaten this, you've partaken of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Well, what's, what's this all about? Well, when we go, look, start looking at the Bible and see what God says and the events that happen, we discover something. That symbols are very, very important to God. Symbols are extremely important to God because of what they symbolize. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, Moses, he has, you know, God has used him in great ways and he's brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, you know, out of the wilderness and is, is going to take them to the promised land. And, and early in this time, they're in the desert and they have no water. They're going to, uh, you know, die of thirst if they don't get water. And so God tells Moses to take his staff and go to this rock and to strike the rock. And Moses does what God says. He strikes the rock and it opens up and water comes out. This huge stream that they're able to use as a water supply. The Bible tells us that this rock is a picture of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a rock, okay? And, and that when he was hit, that's when he dies on the cross, see? He is smitten. He, he's hit. He dies on the cross. And by dying on the cross, he opens up what to us? Life, the Holy Spirit, and the eternal life with God. So this is a symbol, isn't it? The Bible tells us it's a symbol. We aren't just guessing at it. Now, late in their time in the wilderness, as they're drawing close to time to go into the promised land, they find themselves in a similar situation where there's no water. They are going to die of thirst. They're never going to make it to the promised land. God, you know, Moses says, okay, God, what are we going to do? And God says, okay, go back to that rock and talk to the rock. Say to the rock, give it, we need that water. Well, Moses was tired of leading these people. <laughs> he was upset. And he goes and he yells at the people, must we, me and God, must we bring water to you out of this rock? And he gets mad and he hits the rock two times. God graciously lets the water come out to the people. And then he says to Moses, come here, we need to have a talk. And he tells Moses, because of what you've done, which you have dishonored me before the people, you don't get to go to the promised land. I'll let you see it. And he, before he dies, he takes him up on a mountain and lets him see it. He says, but you don't get to go in. The reason? He messed with the symbol. He messed with the symbol. Because the reality is, how many times did Jesus have to die for us? One time. There are religious traditions that say, in essence, he kind of dies every time we get together. We're going to sacrifice him again. But God says, no, once and for all, Jesus died for everybody. He only has to be smitten, hit once. And after that, we just go to him. And Moses, by messing with the symbol, taught things to the people that weren't true about God. All right. 
So the Lord's Supper is a symbol. And if we take it unworthily, and I'll talk just a minute about that, but if we take it, we are messing with the symbol. We are saying things to people with our life about God that aren't true. It's a big deal. So let's, let's talk about this a little bit. I think we're talking about, when he says not discerning the Lord's body, uh, partaking is unworthy. I, I, I really think that probably for most of us, I don't think, I don't think there's any of us here who would be trying to make a mockery of the Lord's Supper. I don't believe that. But when we devalue it in some way, when we devalue what it symbolizes, and so here's the picture, and I'm going to show you something in a little bit about this, but here's the picture. How important is Jesus' death? How important? Huge, right? We can't even begin to, to, you know, express what that all means. It is huge. And so when we live our lives like it just ain't that important, what are we doing? We're devaluing his death. And then we come and take the Lord's Supper and act as if it's the most important thing in the world. And we go out here and live like it ain't. See what I'm saying? We're devaluing. God says, uh, no, you don't mess with this. You need to live like it's important. And, um, and we all fail. We all struggle. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we just do our own thing and, and let it go. When we do that, we can expect the Lord to chastise us. So what are some ways that we might be guilty of devaluing Christ's death for us? Well, how about a lack of gratitude? Right? Are you really grateful? Are you grateful today and this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow? And when you're grateful, it's going to change how you act, isn't it? Change what you think. Uh, how about self-centered living? You know, yeah, there's things I could do that would be better, but I like this. I'm comfortable with this. It's kind of messy to get involved with other people. Uh, how about an unwillingness to serve others? Yeah, you avoid that. I'm just not going there. Uh, a lack of repentance for sin. And yes, as Christians, we can fail to be repentant for sin. Now, if we genuinely receive Christ, we've genuinely been uh, placed our faith in Him, as the Bible says, been born again. We don't ever get unborn again. We're saved. But man, you can live kind of a hardened life sometimes and, and say no to God and not repent. Man, when we sin, and you will sin, but you ought to say, oh God, what am I doing? Why did I, God, I, I confess this to you. It doesn't belong in my life. Please help me to do better and not to do this. Teach me how I get here, right? You're wanting to do something different. A repentant heart, a repentant mind. And if we aren't that way, if we just say, well, it's just the way I am. We're devaluing Lord's death for us. And then we partake of the Lord's Supper and act like, oh, it's the most important thing, but we don't live like it. So I think we've got to be careful. Uh, we need to value us properly. Jesus says, uh, excuse me, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 6, he says that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. He bought you with this death, didn't he? It's with his death he purchased you. Are you living like you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm sure we can all find ways that we aren't, but the idea is let's keep working on it, right? 
Let's just don't say, oh, well. Let's keep working on it. All right. Now, let's continue our thought process here about the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper is a symbolic memorial of Jesus' death on the cross. But you realize that's really incomplete. As I've looked at the Scripture and studied, that's an incomplete statement. And let me, let me just let me give you the complete statement. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic memorial of Jesus' death on the cross for his church. Now, by church, I don't know what your background is and what you're thinking. By church, I don't mean a religious organization. I don't mean a denomination. I don't mean a building. When I talk about churches, I mean it's like us. It's us together. Jesus didn't just die for me. He didn't just die for you. He also died for us together. Somehow, some way. This is born out of Scripture. When, G when Paul's giving instructions about marriage, he says this, that husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and did what? Go ahead and go to that if you would, Mitchell. He gave himself for her. Jesus died for the church. Does that include me? Yes, it does, in case you're wondering. Does it include you? I hope so. He died for us. His church. And his church really, really matters. Matters to him. Matters to God. He gave his life for it. And here's how important it is. First Corinthians chapter three, Paul talking about us as the church. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? You, us together, the church. He's not talking about someone's body right now. He does that in chapter six. We already looked at that. He's talking about the church as the temple of God, the place where God dwells. Does God dwell with us? Does he indwell us and he dwells with us? Yes, he does. Do you not know that you're the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, I don't know where the line is on that. But the idea is this, is God takes his church very seriously and you and I ought to as well. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. The symbols matter because of what they symbolize. And we as a church, Jesus died for us. So let's, let's consider what was going on in Corinth. It'll help you to understand this more about the church. Turn back to the previous page in the Bible that's in the chairs there to verse 17. This is where the apostle actually starts talking about the Lord's Supper in Corinth. He says this, now in giving these instructions, now let me back up. You remember I said in chapter 7, they had sent him questions. He says, now let me answer those questions. So now he's got to the questions about the Lord's Supper. He's going to give them some instructions. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, I hear when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. And, and uh, if we go back to the beginning of the book, he talks about divisions that they were having. They were struggling with divisions over a number of things, and apparently this is one of them as well. And then he says, verse 19, For there must also be factions among you that those who approve may be recognized among you. I really don't want to spend a lot of time on that together, but he's just saying that, that God will use things like this to reveal who's serious about their relationship with him. Verse 20, he says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not 
to eat the Lord's Supper. He isn't saying, when you get together, don't eat the Lord's Supper. He's saying the way you are doing it. When you guys come together, you say you're coming together for the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper. What you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Verse 21, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God? And see this statement, and shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So what was happening here is that they were saying, okay, let's come together for the Lord's Supper. And, and what I, I think they used to do, they'd come together for a meal. They'd come together for a meal, and maybe as part of that meal, then they would do the kind of thing we're doing, the Lord's Supper. But what was happening is they said, okay, we got the meal plan. Next Sunday, let's do that. And then this person says to this person, hey, listen, let's show up early so we can eat our food before those people who don't have any food show up. Because they go through and they take it all. They come in, they're, they're, so they're eating and they're partying, and, and then all of a sudden, those who, as it says, shame those who have nothing, they show up and they've been left out. And he says, you are making a mockery of the fact that Jesus died for the church. And that's what he says right there in the middle of verse 22. Or do you despise the church of God? Do you devalue the church of God? Do you not give the church, do you not view the church the way God says it is? Do you view the church as something less than that? And so you do your own thing on it. It's important as we partake the Lord's Supper that, that we evaluate our commitment to Christ and include basing that on our relationship with the church. So that's the context here, isn't it? It's what's going on with the church that's the problem. They're devaluing the Lord's death for his church by devaluing the church. Here's a question for you. What would someone conclude about your relationship with Christ if all they could look at was your relationship with your church? How important would they conclude that Jesus was to you? Did that question make sense? If all they could look at was your relationship, your connection with your church, your involvement with your church, your attitude toward your church, if that's all they could see, what would they conclude your commitment was to the one who died for the church? You see, sometimes people, and it's really rampant in our culture at this time, you know, I, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church. I, I want Jesus, I just don't want the, the, the stuff that goes on in the church. And you know what? We have to be real honest and, and say that a lot of people have had experiences with the church where we can understand that, right? I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about you and me. People like us who have a church like ours. Could you imagine? The Bible says that the church is, is a symbol of the bride of Christ, right? We're a symbol of the wife in a marriage. Could, could you imagine saying to a friend of yours, 
hey, listen, I want to be your friend, but, you know, could you not bring your wife around? Oh, I'm excited about, you know, you and I going and doing stuff together, but, you know, your wife, I could take her or leave her, you know. Well, that's, that's absurd, isn't it? And yet, we can do that with Jesus in his church if we aren't careful. I'm true to Jesus, but I got little or nothing to do with my church. Doesn't add up. Just doesn't add up. So you need to evaluate. And, and I, I was hesitant. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, try to give specifics on this because I'm not interested in trying to legislate how we have a relationship with God and his church. But I, I really want to encourage you, in, from your heart, evaluate. Ask the question, does my attendance show that I value or devalue my church? Okay? Does my participation in ministry, my level, does it, does it show that I value or that I devalue my church? My involvement in, in classes, Bible study groups, whatever, does it, does it, you know, show that I value or I don't value my church? Uh, membership, giving, on down the line. And I'm not trying to tell you because you need to follow God in all of these things in your life. You do. But my challenge to you is to look at your life and you say to God, God does Am I valuing my church the way I ought to? Is it showing up in my life? Because we're going to partake of this symbol, and it's serious. Jesus died, not just for me, not just for you, but for us together. And so, why do we take the Lord's Supper then? We take the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves how crucial Jesus' death was and how important his church is. Every time we partake, we should remember this. Wow, this is what Jesus did for me. Freed me from the controlling power of sin. Freed me from the penalty of sin. And and then he also provided forgiveness for me. He did that. And then he put me in his body, in his church. And that is more important than I realize. I have to keep reminding myself of that. Well, before we partake of the Lord's Supper today, let me ask, is there anybody who wants to receive Christ as Savior? Talked about that early on. You remember, we acknowledge you've sinned and you're going to choose to trust Jesus as Savior. Anybody here want to do that? Let's bow our heads. Okay, bow our heads. Nobody looking around. It's private between you and God. Is there anybody here today that would say, you know, yes, I do want to receive Jesus as Savior. And I'm going to ask you to, to raise your hand and indicate that to me. Okay, yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? Any other hand? Say, yes, today I want to settle this once and for all. All right, so you raised your hand. Just, just pray to God silently in your heart, something like this. Say, oh God, I know that I've sinned against you. I know my sins have separated me from you. And I'm going to hell because of the way I've lived. God, I turn away from all of that to you. I want you, not that anymore. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And that he rose again from the dead. And right now I receive Jesus as my Savior. I put my faith and trust in him to forgive every sin and give me eternal life. Amen.
All right, you can all look up. Those of you who prayed with me, every sin is now forgiven. You have eternal life, and God himself moves in and begins to help you to grow. And you need to take that serious. You need to do what we're talking now. You need to take Christ's death in his church seriously. So finally, I want to leave with all of you this question. What does the way you live say about Jesus' death and the importance of the church? Does your life say the right things? The Apostle Paul over here said, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. And so what I want to do is just give you a little bit of time. I'm sure you already have been. Let's just take a little bit more time, quietness. Go ahead and bow your heads quietly before the Lord here and examine yourself with that, that question in mind. You know, hey, is my life showing what the death of Jesus means and the importance of his church? Is it? And if it isn't, say, oh, God, you know, confess it, admit it to God and, and purpose to change.